the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcast on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash the like, and come and join us in the chat. Everybody's here, and everybody's got something to say. And we've got a lot to get to because, uh, yes, we'll talk about that first. Uh, Number two, uh, we've got some top teams that a little bit shaky. We got to take the temperature. We got to do some vibe checks across the board. Not a lot of stunners. Uh, Certainly some teams that we thought were going to be able to uh, spring some upsets. They did not. Uh, And we've got, I don't know, just a whole board plus Thursday plus Friday. But the first question that is demanded of the Cover 3 podcast that we must come and open the show asking is... Do you believe? I'm going to ask it one more time. (laughs) Do you believe? Because there was not a lot of belief. And then after Colorado's 45-42 to win at number 17 TCU in Fort Worth, Deion Sanders had to say, Do you believe? Oh, no. Come on. (laughs) That's also what Deion Sanders had to say to us. Um, Yeah, so we went hard, right? We went in. Dion went after Danny on Thursday morning. We came on the locks pod, and I found myself in the position during this game. Very quickly, we knew that 20 and a half wasn't going to hit, right? I mean, this was extremely odd. All right, Tom, you were you in, did you believe? Do you believe? In I always believed. Prime Tom always believed in prime time. I mean, I was only coming to the, fen- the defense of Danny, who was viciously attacked 
on Twitter by Deion Sanders. And to all the commenters calling Danny a coward right now, Danny's never here for the late night reaction show. Though he should be here now. You're right. He is a coward. Where are you, Canel? Get your face in here and show yourself. Isn't he in studio, literally? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all right. So I number one, I think we have to take Colorado like we have to adjust our expectations for Colorado significantly. I, I don't think this is an overreaction. I think that the presence of dudes and the absence of dudes has been a tremendous storyline for me when looking around. And Dylan Edwards is a dude. And Travis Hunter is a capital D dude. And Shadur Sanders just threw for 510 yards in this game. Now, when you hire Sean Lewis and you bring in that attack, remember, he was head coach at Kent State. He leaves that job as a head coach of college football at the Division I level to go be an offensive coordinator for Deion Sanders. He is clearly respected. He is going to lead to prolific offenses just like he did at Kent State. And TCU's defense is a storyline that we are certainly going to take with us the rest of the season for the Horned Frogs. But when you had so many third and longs, when you had so many high leverage plays and just having sh- the combination of Shadur Sanders, Shadur Sanders uh, Dylan Edwards, Travis Hunter, um, the, you had like four different receivers with over 100 yards. Guys just went out there and made plays. Your big picture concerns about Colorado might be realized, especially as the schedule is going to get much more difficult over the course of the next five to six games. But as I look at throughout the rest of the schedule, and the way that they exceeded expectations here, to to scoff at the idea that this Colorado team will be in the postseason, I think is disrespectful. I mean, a certain listener gave me 50 to 1 on Colorado, Colorado making a bowl, and I gladly took it. I was very wrong about this game today, obviously. I I thought obviously we'll get to the Travis Hunter thing, right? And I I, I love watching Travis Hunter. I mean, I, I saw him play a ton in high school, a ton in seven on seven. His interception. I've seen that play a million times. He is absolutely like I, I thought. Yes, Colorado is very athletic at some positions. I thought they played really smart football. I mean, Travis Hunter is, is an exceptional contested catch guy, body control guy. But I mean, he robbed the rail route on mesh. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that is not a normal play from a, a up here standpoint. That's great. Like that is really well coached. And, and I mean, granted, he's been doing it since high school, but like really well coached. Charles Kelly, you know, congrats to him for holding down TCU enough on that side of the football. And I thought Shador played extremely smart football. Like he played better today than I ever saw him play at Jackson State. And I had I had gone back and watched him Jackson State to try to figure out like, okay, what what is this? Because like last year, Colorado was like a negative, you know, twenty five power rated team, right? They went one and eleven, and one and eleven didn't even really tell the full story. They really only had a couple games that weren't. You know, 24, 28 plus blowouts last year. And I thought I had adjusted them up enough. And, and clearly I had not. I, I thought Shador did a great job of identifying what the defense was going to give him, which obviously working in tandem with coordinator Sean Lewis to get guys pretty open and then just repeatedly taking it. They had a leverage rate, which means you're staying out of long down and distance. 73% of their downs were not long down and distance. Now, they did have some pretty notable conversions on long down and distance, but I thought one of the most biggest things they did today was stay ahead of the chains because he just kept taking what TCU would give him. 
It was, it was super accurate with it. I, I was really impressed. Yeah, like a lot of things surprised me today. The only thing that didn't surprise me is that Travis Hunter is awesome because Travis Hunter has always been awesome. So, like, he was at Jackson State, yes, and, like, Dion was hyping on the HBCU FCS thing about nobody believed in him. Everybody believed in, in Travis Hunter. He would have been playing like that for anybody last year, and he'd gone that route. He chose not to. I was very surprised by Shadur Sanders and how well he played. I was very surprised by how well Colorado played as a whole. I don't think I didn't I didn't see that coming. But my th- what I wonder is, and I want to give Sean Lewis credit here. One of the major concerns we had about Colorado in the long term and in this game was its strength on the offensive line and its strength on the defensive line. In the passing game, Sean Lewis did a brilliant job. He did the same thing he did at Kent State. Get the ball out quick. Because he didn't have a good offensive line at Kent State either. So the whole entire scheme offensively in the passing game is snap it, get it out, and keep going. Keep going quick so that way the defense can't really get set and you know so on and so forth. But if you look at the run game, Colorado didn't run the ball. They averaged 1.6 yards per carry. If you take out the sacks, they were only at 2.9. So there are still some concerns with that offensive line that could come up against tougher teams. There were concerns from TCU in the offseason that their defensive line was going to be a weakness for them, and I think that definitely showed up on the field today. But, yeah, I think I think you have to raise your expectations for Colorado after what you saw. Are they going to get to a bowl game? I don't know. Are they much more likely to get to a bowl game based on what I saw today? Yes, because it was a nice reminder that Depth is great to have if you want to win a national title. But if you've just got like five or six dudes, you can probably win a whole hell of a lot of games against some of these teams, especially in the Pac-12, where the bottom of that league is pretty soft. And most of those teams don't have dudes like Colorado has. So Dylan Edwards was phenomenal in this game. I mean, starting running back who had three receiving touchdowns and over a hundred receiving yards in this game. He was not, you know, like you mentioned, Tom, the running game became the quick game. Mm -hmm. Like that is basically what we're going to do in those kinds of situations. And the matchup nightmare that is Dylan Edwards is tough. So I went back to it and, but I'm going to lean on you here because there's naturally a, where did this guy come from? He commits to Kansas state. Then a week later, he commits to Notre Dame, and he's committed to Notre Dame basically until Dion gets the job. Then like a week after Dion gets the job, he flips his Notre Dame commitment, commits to Colorado. Apparently, there was a relationship there. Like, is, is this the most fortuitous thing that could happen with all of the uh, all of the stars aligning for Colorado and for Dion Sanders, where you've got your actual son here, and you've got the player who's been with you from Jackson State, and then you've got somebody who who you've had a relationship with for nearly his entire life, and now you're going to put this together with Sean Lewis, and you're going to be able to field an offense that against, again, I mean, when Colorado plays USC, you think Colorado's going to be held under 30 points? No, the over-under in that game better be 82. Like, I, I just <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that, because like, Defensive concerns, absolutely there. At some point, this contest was who's going to get the ball last, who's going to make a mistake, right? But this Colorado offense is legit. Like, I I don't have all the offenses in the country sorted, but if you're going to have to, like, put together a, a list that you feel very strongly in to say that there's not 20 offenses better than what Colorado has right now. I think that's a really good number to put it at. 
Yeah, I, I I thought you were gonna say like there's not five or something like that. But no, I I think I thought about is, this a lot, bud. Yeah, I I, it was I, a noon I, slate game. <laughs> but all day we we lost a lock infinity today. I've been stewing on this for hours. <laughs> this is true. Um, no, I, I I thought they were really well coached today. Um, great day. I know, I know we'll get to it pretty soon. Pr- pretty pretty darn good day for the Veer and Shoot offense. And the Pac-12 too. Tennessee, mm-hmm. Texas State. Pac-12, uh, Big 12, not so much. Well, actually, I mean, it, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, yeah, uh, Jackson Arnold can play. So, yeah, I, I look, I, I was very, very impressed by what Colorado did. Uh, you asked about when they play USC. I don't know when that is. but it's in like three or four weeks because USC and Oregon are on the first five games of the schedule. That's going to be pretty awesome. I, <laughs> it's gonna be sweet. I'm, I'm excited to see look, obviously I'm also excited to see what adjustments Colorado makes to its own stuff right and what adjustments other teams make after seeing them as as is only natural right like we, we're all going to overreact to week one mm-hmm. I don't think it's an overreaction to say that Colorado starters uh, are good pretty good on offense <laughs> De- defensively obviously not not so much but you know, I mean, it. You can probably, you can probably get to a bowl game if you stay really healthy. Now that you have this one in your pocket, you just you need the health. Um, also, you need to figure out if Travis Hunter is the easy button. Can you press that easy button twelve times? No. Like, can he play hundred and twenty nine no. snaps twelve no. times? No. Here's what happened. Dion put so much into this game and next week's game all off season talking you know like you don't believe in us we'll show you we're going to show you we're going to show you and he had travis hunter play 121 snaps you can't have him play 120 snaps every week but you could do it in this game but if you do it every week he's going to get hurt and then you're going to be kind of screwed i look forward to the participation report officially I mean, it's better get the week off of practice. <laughs> All right. So after the game, Han, let me, I, again, we're doing this on the fly here, but I felt like considering how hard we went, we had to, do we want to hear the full or just want it broken up? Like, do you want to hear the full response? Go for it. All right. Let's see. What's up, boss? You believe now? You, you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no. Do you believe now? Huh? Oh, no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote. I, I read through that. I sifted through all that. Yeah. Oh, no. Come on. Do you believe? You don't believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. Next, Next question. question. <laughs> uh, that is from WFAA in uh, the Dallas area coming through with that audio. Uh, that was from the post-game press conference. I have I have read our... Uh, I have heard and read that I believe that was directed at a long time uh, ESPN reporter that was in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Coming, coming out firing uh, with the, with the, it It was Ed Werder who he was talking to ESPN's Ed Werder, Dallas Cowboys beat reporter pretty much. He sifted through it. You know, that bull junk that he wrote. Yeah. I appreciate what Dion's doing because it is tremendous content. 
But I do feel like somebody needs to remind Dion that Colorado did not win the national title today. <laughs> Colorado oh, beat no, TCU and is 1-0. And, oh, and he's pulling out the, I got receipts. It's like, bro, nobody said you weren't going to win a game. <laughs> like, Chill out just a little bit. All right, look, I, I, I get why he's happy. A lot, a lot of people said he wouldn't win this game. Right, I didn't think he'd win. This I didn't game. think he was winning this game. No, I didn't know how their season would, would, would go. I, I will say, I thought we were pretty good about that. If you go back to the Pac-12 preview stuff, like we didn't say. I know some people said like this is the worst roster in college football. We we really didn't say crazy stuff like that. I thought TCU was was, was really going to run by them on, on defense, and they didn't. Well, actually, they kind of did at times, certainly, and they scored forty-two with with Morris. Dirting the ball and just kind of spraying all over the place, but okay. oh, um, I mean, we, well, we need to talk about that part of it too. Yeah, I, I, let's let's question, save the big picture, like because an, another thing I had just sort of on my like list was, you know, does this mean the experiment will work? And the ultimate answer, if we're being sensible and not overreacting, is we'll see, right? You know, like it 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 worked here. Um, you have to define work, obviously. Yes, yeah. for sure, but I. I was uh, I was really distraught trying to find TCU's backup quarterback information <laughs> during this game. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, good, the in-state three-star who seems fine." Okay, so it's just gonna be Chandler Morris, huh? We don't we don't really have a don't really have a good plan B here. We're just rolling with Chandler Morris. Okay. Here's the thing, though: we're talking about how incredible Colorado's offense was today, and it was. TCU finished with 24 fewer yards and averaged 6.8 yards per play to Colorado 7 and finished with three fewer points. So it's not like TCU's offense was bad. It just didn't have as many huge, awesome plays as Colorado's. And it had it had more misses. Like to yeah. Bud's point yeah. of being they able left to, more out there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, for, to Bud's it's, point of like Colorado was taking anything it could get, you know, anything you're gonna give me, I'll take it. Anything you're gonna give me, I'll take it. And then boom, we hit this big play. TCU had more plays where it felt like there was something there and they missed it. If they play again tomorrow, Is that fair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they play again tomorrow, I would take TCU. I would not take TCU by 20, obviously. Is that you know fair? What, yeah, you know what the difference you, was you, in this you game guys to me. Would like, have Colorado favored now for sure. No, I'd game. still have TCU favored. Okay, yeah. Just, the, the difference to me in this game, obviously, the dudes, but Sean Lewis was just much better than Kendall Bryles today. Yeah. Ooh, good call. New OC at TCU. Garrett Riley's gone. Some TCU fans wanted to play it off like it wouldn't matter. It mattered a lot today because Kendall Bryle sometimes forgets that he has a running back who you can hand the ball off to, and he gets a little pass happy. And there were a lot of situations where TCU was running the ball really well, and then they just started chucking the ball around for some reason. It was interesting. Like I, On the broadcast that I know Clatt was calling for, um, for TCU to run the football more, and then I thought, the first time he, he was talking about the first drive he was talking about, it, I, I, I kind of agreed with him. And then the second one, I was like, looks to me like Colorado's in a look here uh, where I probably wouldn't wouldn't run into that box. So, uh, yeah. I, can, we, I th- can we talk about the broadcast for a second? Oh. Well, well, well I mean, if, but before we do that, let me just sort of like turn off anybody who might be listening. Yeah. Don't run into that box. That's a Saturday night joke. Okay, Tom, <laughs> let's talk about the broadcast. <laughs> 
Like, I have never been a big Gus Johnson fan. I think that he's just playing a character at this point where he yells for the sake of yelling at anything. Like he like he gets all excited about incomplete passes. But at least in Gus Johnson's career, he has been objective, doing it for everybody and every team. Gus was blatantly rooting for Colorado to win this game today. TCU would score touchdowns, and he wasn't even getting excited. And then there was the one touchdown TCU scored, and he was trying to see if there was any way it was like an incomplete pass. And Joel Klatt's like, no, that's pretty clearly a catch. And Gus is like, I don't know. And, like, and Klatt played where? At Colorado. That's what I'm right. saying. Like, the concern was, how is Joel Klatt going to be you know, objective with Colorado playing in these games? It's Gus who was biased towards Colorado. It's a better – it's a – it's a better sell. <laughs> I mean, anyway. I mean, there was a point like once 20 and a half was gone, my rooting interest went to the content. Mm-hmm. Like, don't yeah. like don't lose the infinity with a TCU field goal win. There's nothing fun about that. If we're going to lose the infinity, then let's at least have Colorado win outright and be able to get a do you believe out of it? All right. That's a, that's a great sounder now. Um, so anyway, if you're new to the show. If we have a bad take, we own it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. hit the like button. Listen. We'll ha- we'll, guess what? We'll have more. We'll probably have more good takes than bad, but we'll definitely have some bad takes. I'm currently 0-9 in locks this week. And l- there is. I'm about to be 0-10. Oh, Thank you, Texas Tech. And listen, there is a difference between a bad take and a bad pick, right? Like, I, I think we provide enough analysis on Saturday nights, on Mondays, on Wednesdays, that on Thursdays, if 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 you fly off and you, you hit one wrong, whatever. We're taking shots out here, all right? It's on you to pull it up. Here's one of my favorite things from the entire game. I thought the number of players that were left over from last year's roster was like 10 or 11. The broadcast said it was three, but that end zone interception <laughs> starters yeah. was by one of those players that was left over. Trevor Woods, this is his third year with Colorado. He did not leave. He made the roster, and dadgummit, he came up with a massive play early in the game that with that end zone interception, jumping in front of the ball. Uh, first half interception, I think. Trevor is Louie. Lou, which Louie? He's not no cheap Samsonite bag. He's Louie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they checked the tag on Trevor Woods, and Trevor Woods said, boy, I'm from Katy, Texas. You know what kind of ball I've played growing up? Come on. Check this tag. I'm Louie. All right. Listen, it it was the biggest story of the day. We're not going to give 20 minutes to one game for every single show. But that's what happens. Coming up on the other side, we open up the board. We've got top five teams with big question marks. We've got other teams within the top 25 that, you know, mixed bag a whole lot of points from a bunch of quarterbacks and more. Next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, 
invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account. Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, uh, dealer's choice here. Bud, you want to go the Ohio State offense route? Or do you want to take this thing to something from like uh, anything from 7 p.m. slate, like North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Alabama, what Jalen Milrow did? You know, it's what, what are we feeling right now? I'm really feeling like we stay in the state of Texas and just kind of go off the board here in the elsewhere. Can, can, can I jump to the elsewhere of the rundown? 100%. I mean, listen, with the, the rundown on a – on a show like this, a rundown's fluid. This, it's Got more it. than anything just like throwing down ideas to be able to just make sure that we don't forget anything. You know how a Saturday night show goes. We just kind of flow with what works. TCU was not the team that had the biggest upset happen to them today. Mm-mm. Not even in the state of Texas. Let's go to Waco. Mm. Guys, Baylor 31, Texas State 42. T.J. Finley, last seen looking like he had no idea what he was doing for Brian Harson at Auburn, was in a battle with Malik Hornsby, who the last time we really saw Malik Hornsby play was when Jefferson was hurt for Arkansas and Hornsby had to go play against Mississippi State, if I recall, last year. And again, looked like all he really could do is run down. Finley was in a quarterback battle with him in camp. T.J. Kenny, new head coach comes in and brings his awesome, awesome offense. Finley, 22 of 30 for 298. And he scooted a little bit too, 18 yards. I I mean, I know Blake Shapin got hurt towards the end of this. No, no, no. This was bad. This was not. They were done before they torched them. Yeah, this is... This is a Baylor defense problem. This is like all of the reasons that I described my Baylor minus 27 and a half pick were all out there, and I was like, and I was listening to Dave Aranda talk about that offense. It seems like they've got a good handle of it, and they might have in the meeting room, but good golly, on the field, they did not. They do not have the corners right now to face competent offenses, and the defense as a whole is sus. So I I don't know what to do with Baylor right now other than like very much be concerned, which you know is interesting with Utah coming to town. For week two, we'll see what happens there. It's not like Utah is fielding a dynamic passing attack. Um, do you do you know who took the second most transfers in college football? Texas State. I think it was Texas State. The fighting Spavs finally come through now that he's gone. 27-point dogs. I mean, just so happy for Jake Spavitol. He's finally got the boys playing well. <laughs> 
that was a but that was that was our joke we were like i wonder how many people actually know jake spavital is not the head coach for texas state anymore and jake spavital had a great day in the state of texas today he's cal's oc now and they dropped like a 60 burger on north texas they had 300 passing and 300 rushing their quarterback, got knocked, their quarterback got knocked out in the middle of the second quarter, and they and 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 Ben Finley, the NC State kid, came in for Cal and bombed it. Was, like they looked great. It was a banner day for crappy QBs who transferred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if, hey, we and, call that redemption, baby. <laughs> um, no, the the Texas State upset of Baylor was bad for Baylor. Great for Texas State. I mean, you, you're right to shout out uh, G.J. Kinney, the fact that he takes over that program, brings on a whole bunch of transfers. The offense comes out absolutely cooking. Like, that's awesome. I don't think we will be discussing, I mean, in, except in the locks pod, I don't know how much Texas State's going to be on our radar, right? I mean, unless you want to be a, become a Texas State pod. Are you ready for that? I'm fine with it. Yeah, we'll go to San Marcos. Yeah. We'll have ourselves a good time. Okay, well, actually, I, wait till Monday. I, I have something cool from Texas State to show. All right. I like to hear that tease. Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. You think we take Labor Day off? We labor every day. Come on. Um, the the Cal over North Texas was a unexpected result as well. They thumped them. That was like the very trendy uh, like Twitter upset. North Texas, North Texas, North Texas. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll see. Oh, no. We'll the, see. The Cal, other- Cal took like 23 transfers and, and – some decent, pretty decent players. Well, the other one was like uh, Colorado State. I was giving it out at 11. It was at 12 early in the week. Closed at eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Nope. Wazoo was good the entire way. It, it Today did not have a lot of big shakeups, right? I mean, what was the most, uh, Tom, what was the most surprising result? I mean, Colorado State, obviously off the board. Like, what was the most surprising result that you saw on Saturday? <sighs> I don't know that there was a truly surprising result that, especially after seeing Colorado TCU, I think that kind of just takes all the shock out of the system. I will say something that did surprise me a little bit was how sturdy North Carolina looked defensively. Mm. Like they weren't great, but compared to what we have seen from that team, the last uh, like thousand years and the question marks we've had about them for the last thousand years, they look, pretty dang good on the defensive side of the ball tonight. Like a team that, hey, maybe the ACC does have a third team kind of good. When is the last time, and Chip, I mean, you can probably remember this, when is the last time that we could say, hey, Mac Brown's North Carolina team was the more physical team on both yeah. sides of the line of scrimmage? Oh, that they, Mac, oh, oh, so if you're going to specifically say Mac Brown's yeah. North Carolina team, that answer would be 1997. Right. Dude, a long time I mean, ago. Look, yeah. uh, Tez Walker did 12. not get his waiver. Tez Walker didn't get the waiver approved. And and was uh, McCullough. The, the kid Nate McCullum has a groin injury. So you, those are your yeah. top two wide receivers, I suppose. But I listen, shout out to Kobe Paysauer. He like has been around. J.J. Jones has been around. Those guys were just uh, you know often overlooked, but there's always been a belief that and you've got Drake May, and you're within that offense, and they've got really good tight ends who came up big in this game as well, making some catches over the middle. Um, Offense was cooking. Defense played well. I thought they did a great job of taking advantage of an offensive line that was already a little bit shaky and then lost one of its best players in like the second quarter, right? 
They had they had nine sacks and sixteen tackles for loss. Oh, and do you know on how many was, plays? Uh, let's see. South Carolina had seventy plays. They had nine sacks on them. And they weren't all pass plays, obviously, and they had sixteen tackles for loss on seventy plays. They did not have a Pate single. Pate has game. a padlock stat. What? Pate has this like padlock stat thing. I don't know what we want to call it if we have if we have that. I don't want to like like steal other people's bits, but like if you have a twenty four percent tackle for loss rate, you're gonna uh, you might do pretty well. Like that that is a good indication you're you're gonna win. I have my chaos rate stat that yeah. So like three it. sacks was the season high last year. <laughs> they hit nine today. Three was the season high. Seventeen was the season total for sacks for North Carolina last year. And look, halfway there. On on what date last year did North Carolina notch its ninth sack? I mean, look, we can say that South Carolina did not look very good, and that, that's really like incontrovertible. This North Carolina team gave up sixty-one points. To an App State team that missed a bowl game last year, guys, mm-hmm. like they looked better. I, the defense um, was stepped up. Well, there was a great line that was floating around that was addition by subtraction, which always makes me feel uncomfortable when grown adults looking in on a program of college-aged young men and are like. You're bad. Can't wait to get you out of here. Like those, that read just always makes me feel uncomfortable. When the performance validates it, uh, I'll give a little bit more credence to it. And this North Carolina defense lost a lot of players to the transfer portal. But maybe addition by subtraction is right because not really how math works, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, it's the group include. I mean, like Desmond, for example, Bud, Desmond Evans. How long have people been talking about Desmond Evans? Desmond Evans, and like finally, you're seeing number ten out there flying around, coming up with a sack. Right? I mean, there's a lot of players that have been signing day wins for Mac Brown, where it feels like it hasn't shown up yet on a Saturday, and that seemed to be some of the turnkey that we saw here, at least in this game. Every year on summer school, I ask the guys from inside Carolina, hey, do you think this year is going to be the year that all these four- and five-star defensive linemen that that North Carolina signed are going to grow up? And they just – it felt like they played hard. Like they were uh, – granted, like I know South Carolina what didn't look very good, but they played hard. And that was the opposite of the expectation. Everyone yeah. thought South Carolina – Against a North Carolina school, a big lights game. This is when North Carolina like puckers up and the SEC team comes in and takes advantage of them. And it was a, a script that was flipped. This, this was uh, South Carolina beat, had two of the biggest wins in school history, right? You beat mm-hmm. Tennessee and you beat Clemson in the same month. Like this, that's as riding high as you can go. You take Notre Dame all the way to the distance in the bowl game. On the other side, you've got a North Carolina team that lost its last four games last year. North Carolina came in with his hair on fire. I'm getting Venmo requests to pay people back for the Texas Tech bet. (laughs) How do they know the last four digits in your phone number? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, dude, huge win for North Carolina. It was... It's a good performance. They they get the aforementioned App State Mountaineers next. They get Minnesota in week three, and then uh, a trip to Pitt in week four before they hit an off week in week five and then start to get to a, a little bit more of a manageable stretch of the schedule. Um, 
All right, let's do Ohio State before we hit the next break. Yeah. Mediocre as hell, honestly. Right? Like that was my primary takeaway from them. Now again, it's the first game and things could change. You don't want to take it too too bad. But like offensively, first of all, what happened to the quarterback competition? Because Kyle McCord started the game. Devin Brown played one series before garbage time, and it was a three and out, and he didn't throw a pass in any of them, although he threw a couple like late in the fourth when the game was over. But it's not like Kyle McCord was playing so well that it was a situation where it's like, oh, you got to ride the hot hand, leave him in there. He was McCord was like, okay. Uh, they couldn't really run the ball that consistently. Like, um, Trey, Chip Trainum had some decent – like he averaged seven yards per carry, but Henderson didn't do much. Mayan Williams had a couple touchdowns, but he didn't really do anything. Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka were pretty much like invisible. They didn't mm-hmm. do anything. And defensively, Ohio State had great numbers. Like Indiana only had 153 yards. They only averaged 2.8 yards per play. But I felt like that was more Indiana than anything in particular that Ohio State was doing. Like they weren't really – disrupting anything they only had one sack in the game they weren't really blowing stuff up and then their offensive line like okay they didn't give up any sacks they gave up five tackles for loss but they weren't really pushing anybody around it was just it was a pretty subpar overall performance for ohio state in which yes they won 23 to 3 so they win by 20 a comfortable win but overall Man, they need to get their crap together because, like, they're going to be fine next week against Youngstown State. But when, like, they get when the, is the Notre Dame game after that, or do they have somebody else before that? But wh- whenever that Notre Dame game comes, if they play like they did today, they're going to lose. I do think their defense is pretty damn good. Like, I know we're going to focus on the quarterback stuff here, and we should because how big the drop off is from Stroud to whomever they end up going with, whether it's McCord or maybe they'll try Brown more. In the next game, that, that's going to determine their ceiling. The, the floor to me is kind of determined by this defense, though. Like, I was pretty impressed with their defense. Like, the Indiana offensive line, I actually think is probably better than it was last year because they're not all injured. That, that's usually helpful. And they pretty much suffocated Indiana throughout the game. So maybe their defense is turning a corner, but I don't know. Like, are we, are we going to sell? On Ohio State's offense right now, or are we just like? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're week one selling Ohio State's well, offense. Here's, like, we're, we're, here's I, what's I, concerning to me: Ryan Day said before the game we're going to look a little old school. He was saying we're going to be running the ball more than we have. You're used to us seeing us doing it, and they couldn't run the ball. Like, mm-hmm. so if you're going to be old school, which I think they're doing because they don't have the kind of faith in their quarterbacks that, you know, they obviously had with Stroud and Fields. And I'm wondering if the quarterback battle is only still going on because nobody's really been good enough to take the job. But if you're going to go old school and then you're averaging like four yards per carry against Indiana, mm. I worry about going old school. I sat here and named Ohio State as my preseason pick to win the national championship in the face of new tackles, in the face of a change at quarterback, in the face of large debates within the Ohio State community over who's calling the plays and whether or not the game plan is appropriate for the personnel. And I was like, nah, they'll figure it out. And look, they might, right? They probably will. They probably will, but... This was disconcerting 
This was a a game where the inability to dominate, despite all of the on-paper advantages, is something to take note of. And I think that we will see, you know, the the stock price drop a little bit. But I, I think that that stock price drop, like you, you mentioned the sell. Like, are we selling Ohio State's offense? No. We're just not as confident at what in the price? stock anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, at, at what price are we selling it? Because my expectations coming into this were much higher than what we saw on the field. I like the um, Gary Daniels. I was doing, I did pregame, halftime, postgame for CBS Sports HQ. As always, our game, our 330 game on CBS always has coverage pre halftime and post game on CBS sports HQ. Come check us out. It's usually one of us involved. Um, Gary came on right after me and the, the goat Joe Musso, you know, he, he interested, he was like, all right, 23 to three, but that doesn't tell the whole story. And of course, Gary classic sense, like he gets a question, he goes, mm, and then he goes, he's like, but 2033 does tell the story, right? It shouldn't have been 20. I'm paraphrasing at this point. He's like, but 23 to three shouldn't have been the score here. Like every player in that locker room is looking at that score and, you know, they may or may not have known the point spread. Shout out to Iowa State. More news there on that front today. But like they knew that they should have won that game by more points than they did. There has to be a frustration. There has to be a level of we did not get the job done. And so to that point, yeah, they'll probably figure it out just because they're so daggum talented. This was not a good performance. No, I do want to give some credit to Indiana secondary, though. Because like I said, Igbuka and Harrison were invisible. They had five catches on 12 targets. Indiana's plan defensively was clearly take them away, make everybody else beat them. Julian Fleming had a good game. Kate Stover had a big game. But overall, that was another takeaway from this too. I think Indiana's defense is salty enough that they're probably going to be in games against teams that aren't like, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and whoever the heck they play from the West if they're better teams. I can't remember their schedule off the top of my head. So if I'm an Indiana fan... I am a little more optimistic after what I saw today that, you know, we're not going to go two and seven in the Big Ten. Maybe we can get three or four wins. Maybe we could even flirt with the bowl eligibility. But the offense is awful. So Ohio State scored one less point than Iowa, which scored one less point than the 25 it needed to average by the end of the season. Are you more impressed with Cade McNamara and the Iowa Hawkeyes? <laughs> Then you are disappointed with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Things are going well. <laughs> and they started hot. They started ripping and roaring. We were ready to go. I have to update, um, I have to update my projections tomorrow. Yeah. And every week we do this YouTube short thing. You guys can check it out. And it's on the socials where I, I project how many points that I think they need to score in each remaining game in order to, like, for, to not have, have Brian Ferentz get fired for not averaging 25 points. I don't know who the FCS team they play is, but I, I think they need to drop like a 70-burger. No, next week is Iowa State. Okay. So this week I had them, uh, I think I, I, I forgot what I used, probably 44 or 45. I'll, I'll, I'll check it when I send it to Magadow. Uh, I will, you know what? I put this on the defense because the offense scored 24 points. Where was the defensive touchdown? Yeah, that is true, Tom. I mean, is Phil Parker slacking? That's is Phil Parker on the hot seat because we did not get a defensive touchdown. Iowa fans are used to these defensive touchdowns. Sound off in the comments. Does Sound Phil Parker need comments. to go? 
No, they did. Oh, God. I'm saying they did. They came out in really well. Like they, they score. I think it was, I can't remember the year, but it was the first time they scored on their opening possession a touchdown since like 1991 or something stupid like that. And they looked really good their first couple of possessions. And then they just stopped. That was weird. Very. Coming up on the other side, 73, 73, 81. These are actual point totals in a college football game from top 25 teams. What in the world? Next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So I mentioned um, some of those bananas. Uh, Ole Miss, 73-7 to over Mercer. Oregon. Which, by the way, for like a split second, it was eight to seven against Portland State. You know, it's one of those things where you see on the ticker and it's like midway through the first quarter, you go, ooh, and you turn back around and you say, is that a, is that a 50 at halftime? What in the world? Eight and 81 to seven was, uh, was the final right there. 56 to three, Notre Dame over Tennessee State. Uh, shout out Michael's in the chat. Already see him out there. He said they would average 40 points per game. Current average is 49.0 points per game for Notre Dame's yeah. offense here in the 2023 season across two games. You know, Georgia 48 to seven, a little bit of a slow start. USC 66 to 14 against Nevada. But Washington played a Boise State team that even after this result, and I, I have not gone hard on this one. So if, if you have more eyes on the game than I do, please let me know. 56 to 19 against Boise state. And every single time I switched over, it looked like they were just in rhythm, right? It was just like the advantage of head coach, Kalen DeBoer, offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, a quarterback in Michael Penix, three wide receivers who've all played together. Like, Everything was moving in the right direction. Um, Tom, did you have a lot of eyes on this one? Yeah, I, I took Boise State plus 14, so I was watching it. But before we get into it, I want to set a shout out to friend of the show, Ian Carmel, who is a Portland State grad, but an Oregon fan. I know that today had to be very conflicting for you. Uh, I was, this was a case to me. Where I, I, I've been high on Boise State during the offseason. I think they're going to win the Mountain West, and I think they have a very good shot at getting the you know G5 spot in the New Year's Six Bowls. I still feel that way. I think they just ran into a Washington team that was simply way too good for them, and it was probably the best team that they're going to see all season long, and they got cooked. Like Michael Penix and that Washington offense just put them in a hole. 
in a put Boise in a situation where they aren't really as comfortable trying to dig their way out of it. And I think this was far more about Washington today than it was about Boise State. And I think that, you know, they're the team we saw last year. They are a team that can win the Pac-12 this year. I I kind of agree with Tom here. Like, like I thought about it, and after each game I watched, like, do, would I adjust my power rating for either of these teams? And ultimately, after seeing it, I was like, not, not really, because who who in the Mountain West is going to do that? Who who has like Jalen Polk would be the best receiver for probably every team in the Mountain West, and he's the third best receiver on Washington. And they return, you know, a pretty good amount of experience on the offensive line. I know that depth there is a concern, but it's game one. If nobody gets hurt, depth's not really a concern in game one. And and Penix, they just hit those dudes in stride. Like they they get UCF next week. Uh, now UCF's a very different challenge, but because I mean, Reese Plumley is like a legitimate power five receiver level speed, but they don't throw the ball around as well as as a Washington does. You know, so, and on the flip side, I don't know if we answered really many questions about Washington. The, the only thing I would say here is I, I read some of the quotes from, from the new offensive coordinator at Boise over the summer, and he was talking about how he wants he wants Green to stay in the pocket and be a, a pocket passer, and I just... It's not a skill set. I, I, I mean, look, I understand the idea that you're coaching and you want to improve somebody, and, and like, the, you see this ultimate ceiling, like... What if you could make Taylor Green into a really good passer? Because the legs are are awesome. But I mean, nineteen of thirty nine, and thirty nine for two forty four is is pretty bad, right? So, I here's what I think is going to happen. I don't know what'll happen next week. I'll probably downgrade him. Then come Mountain West play, they're like, all right, fine. We'll we'll let this guy who's basically like you know kind of discount Vince Young as far as like, his running style actually looks kind of like it, by the way. <laughs> Fine. We'll, we'll, we'll let, we'll let him run all the time in Mountain West play and we'll go probably and lose like one game in the Mountain West. And it'll take me like two or three games to catch up because like I have the, their offense downgraded rating. So I'm just going to diamond hands my Boise state rating, not touch it until we get to Mountain West play and trust that Boise staff stops with this kind of nonsense. Right. And they run him in Mountain West play. Right? Boise Maybe mom. they're just trying to keep him from getting hit. Boise mom, can we have Vince Young? We've got Vince Young at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I have just been talked into a reckless Boise State lock at some point later in the season just so that I can talk about um, going to Dollar General to pick up a Taylor Green. Because <laughs> I do just fine. <laughs> Oh man, that's uh, Taylor Green. Taylor Green is a good player. Don't be, don't be. That's fair. Don't be mean to Taylor Green. We just feel like he's not being, not being used quite right. Um, I, I couldn't help but laugh at the bananas output from uh, Oregon and just assume that it was part of the marketing budget, right? <laughs> like if you're gonna put, the, like if you're gonna put these billboards all over America. And if you're going to buy up the space on sport, like national sports websites, so that you are like a, a, a full header banner, you might as well go and put up 81 points in your opener just to attract a little bit more attention. I don't, have, I, I don't have any other uh, 
any other strong Oregon takes, but it does fall into the Washington. It does fall into the Colorado. It does fall into Utah taking care of business in general of what's been pretty good start for the Pac-12, at least in terms of the teams at the top uh, living up to those expectations. On note, it is the first time three FBS teams have scored at least 70 points in a game since 2019. The three teams who did it that year, Oklahoma, Oregon, and oh, nope, South Carolina. But the first two were the same. So that is kind of funny that is Oregon and Oklahoma have each done it in the same week twice in the last four years. And also Jackson, crazy that South Carolina did it once. Yeah, Jackson Arnold got a whole half of action. Yes. Because they had like 49 or 50 on the board by halftime. All right, let's ask this question then. Was Dylan Gabriel too good for his own good by allowing Jackson Arnold to get so much playing time and maybe show everybody that, oh, wait, this kid might be better? What game does Jackson Arnold take over the offense this year? Oh, Texas, my when they're losing in the third quarter. Are we back? Are we just selling Dylan Gabriel right now? No, we're no, buying Jackson I, no, Arnold. We're, buy, we're buying Jackson Arnold. Hey, that's it. That's good. All right, I'll take that. Negativity got us in a bad place. I like the positivity. Positivity. <laughs> positivity. We're all positive people here. I'm all in 10 and locks. Woo! Love and life. So, have we um, ever had an 0 and 10? Yeah, Chip's done it like five times, but no, I have never no, done no, it. No, 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 no. Okay, it's an 0 and 9 in a single week. It is 0 and 18 across two weeks. Step your game up, stretch this losing streak all the way into week two. Then we can come talk. Um, all right. Who got eyes on Alabama's quarterbacks? I got a little bit in like the multi view thing. I think Jalen Milrose the starter. Yeah. I don't think there's a question. Well, especially because Buckner came in second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I look at the Nick Saban, you know, you, you mentioned the Ryan day, like that's, that's the new galaxy brain thing. It seems within coaching is that the pendulum is swinging back. It's like, what do you, what do you do when everybody, when the linebackers are skinny, when everybody's spreading them out? Like, what if, what if we can just go out there and mash you? The difference is Ohio state has two young tackles and, you know, an offensive line that's changed over. There is youth on the Alabama offensive line, certainly, even at the left tackle position, but they seem better prepared to be able to go out there and just mash you. And what Jalen Milrow can do, taking a busted play and turning it into something explosive, is not what Kyle McCord can do. Mm -hmm. And I thought that Milrow did do a great job of having total command of what Tommy Reese wanted to do, creating plays when they weren't there. And it just seemed. Seems like a pretty thorough performance um, from him and Alabama to a place where, uh, you know, I always get tasked, long-time listeners know, I always get tasked with having to sort out what the top 25 is going to be for the next day, right? And I would not be surprised if on Tuesday, Alabama's at three and Ohio State's at four, if only because of what we saw out of two questionable quarterback situations and the performances that followed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, totally. it's... It's Middle Tennessee, so, you know, grain of salt. But if you're an Alabama fan, like, you threw the ball efficiently and productively. 
You know what I mean? It's like you weren't throwing it all over the place, but you threw it enough and you did good doing so. And you were running the ball well in a lot of key situations where you didn't really run the ball much in the last couple of years or you weren't able to run the ball well in the last couple of years. Tommy Reese knows what he's doing. That freshman left tackle? People, if you're like an NFL fan, you probably need to, to learn this guy's name. Caden Proctor, number one offensive tackle in the country last year. He's 6'7", 360, and mm-hmm. is legitimately like one of the people out there that are like, oh, that guy should be in professional wrestling. Like He just kind of has that, <laughs> that look to him. Uh, Bama looks very physical to me, and Bama's defense, I kind of think that Bama – has a chance, not yet, but it's, they're going to be in really in the conversation for the best defense in the country. I I think, I mean, they're pretty, that one's, I, that one's one I'll wait a week on. Like, yeah, no doubt. Like, like let's their, see him play their ability to absolutely squeeze the life out of middle Tennessee. It's going to be one thing. I think that it was the cohesiveness on offense where it's just like, it did not look disjointed at all. Right. They just kind of, yeah, I don't know. Live update: The Roosters are crowing in Pasadena. No way! We're tied fourteen fourteen in the Rose Bowl. Chip Kelly, Kelly non-con coming through. This is incredible. This is amazing. Um, All right, I I will admit that because of writing assignments, podcast preparations, uh, you know, we're so thankful for Nissan and their sponsorship. I did not get much uh, eyes on Penn State. Oh, I did. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. So, what what yeah, stood out about this? It I had it in the like fourth box where you know I, I go like no, it's my third box. It's like the one big small small, and then the TV to the side. So I had it in like the upper right hand corner. So I was just only looking at the score, making sure that nothing unusual was happening. It seemed like we were you know connecting with Lambert Smith a good bit and making some key throws when you needed it. But I did not get a good feel for Penn State as a whole here. Uh, what did we see from the Nittany Lions? You know, I just a, a, a quick shout out. I, I actually thought relative to what I think their talent level is, West Virginia played a pretty good game, honestly. Like, I, I don't think that they're any good at quarterback. I think their receivers are, are poor. I don't think their D-line's any good at all. And I kind of like the back end of their defense, like a little bit, and the offensive line is, is not bad. Uh, and I thought they played really about as well as they could could probably play uh, against Penn State with with one exception. They did get some pressure on Drew multiple times mm-hmm. and they were unable to get him on the ground and he kind of has this little not talent wise but he is a five star obviously. Uh but stylistically this sort of like Josh Allen thing where he's like, "Oh, that guy's just really big and kind of yep. just people kind of float and bounce off him and oh, like oh, that's a kind of an ill-advised throw but also just went like to the clear other side of the field, 40 yards, and just zipped it there. Uh, Penn State, we're, we're still looking to see who's going to emerge for them at receiver. Uh, but there were a lot of sort of off script, not broken plays, but just a little bit improvised stuff. And yet they still had like 500 yards. They punched in a score to uh, to cover and, and send the game over uh, right at the end, of course. So super annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, for, for anybody who was invested in that. And uh, – and I, overall, they, they looked good. Defensive line, when they play Michigan, this is still kind of our one concern, right? The interior defensive line 
West Virginia is the best offensive line Penn State will face until they face Michigan, I think. They moved him a little bit. So just keep that in the back of your mind. I think it was maybe 31-14. I saw them get like a short yardage uh, touchdown run. It was like the game was obviously double digits out of hand, but West Virginia was still getting a good push on them. Um, West Virginia's got a good offensive line. Like I will say, I think Keandre Lambert-Smith's kind of emerging. He had 128 yards and two touchdowns. But can he be a one on a team that goes to the playoff? Like I kind of think he's no. like a good two. You, like they no. need the he's kid. a big play threat, yeah. which I think it comes in handy with a quarterback like Alar who can just kind of launch the ball. And then I mean, the one thing we've talked about like is their running backs. You know, Singleton and Allen and how awesome they are. And those they were good tonight, but they were kind of just okay. And Penn State's run game was just kind of overall okay. And it was the passing attack, the quarterback and the receivers, the things we were most skeptical about on offense that I thought carried them. I thought Drew Lahr played really good. He is the dude that we've been waiting for Penn State to have for a long time. And he showed, like, or at least we've we've wondered if he's the dude. I'm not going to claim he is just yet, but he looked like a guy who could very much be that guy today. I'm claiming James Franklin shenanigans here. They waited until today to name him the starter. Oh, and the fact that they, well, I know, I know, but just the fact that he had not, at least introduce the talking point, right? When we're sitting there just grasping for anything because we've been talking about these teams since July with no actual games to talk about that is like, well, you know what? Quarterback battle hasn't been settled. You know, Drew Aller hasn't been named the starter yet. So I'm just, I'm just happy that that was just shenanigans and not an actual concern about the Penn State quarterback position, something that I for sure was confident in all the way through today. So... Yeah, but I mean, the bookstore was selling Alar t-shirts all offseason. It's not like no, it's there was never even a competition. Um, all right, so what else? Uh, I'm not going to panic over Georgia stuff. Georgia fan <laughs> panic, is that real or is that just the like fringe? That's the fringe. Okay. I mean, yeah, what, it's, they it's didn't the extremely online people. Okay. I think. It was a slow start, right? Just the fact that it was 7-0 for too long. Yeah. I'm going to bump them down about, about a point or two of my power ratings. <laughs> no, no, in that they don't look like the absolute killing machine that they looked out the gate last year against Oregon. Well, you could go be the third string running back right now. With I mean, Branson Robinson out for the year with uh, Kendall. Todd Munkham is calling the plays. I bet I do well. Bobo stuff. Kendall know. Milton's dealing with, an, I think, a hamstring. Dajan Edwards with an MCL. Like they legitimately are down three of their top four or five backs in terms of being 100%. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to miss time all the time, but I, you know, it's going to be a different look for Georgia, right. if for no other reason than, you know, what they're dealing with personnel-wise. Uh, Milton did play, uh, did not have any recorded carries for Dejan Edwards in this game. I didn't really see any of this game, so. No. Um, I'll have to go back and review that, which is why we have Monday's show upon further review. Uh, let's see what else from Texas. Just not crisp. Mm. Like I had a just not not what you wanted to see. Like you should vote race rice on talent. 
if you're if you're using it correctly. So, but then again, like who knows how much have they been working on Rice? How much have they been working on Alabama? If it's me, I'm not getting fired, and I'm not getting an extension over the Rice game. Okay, I'm going to get judged on the Bama game and on my nine games in the Big Twelve. So. Maybe they've been working on, on a whole lot of Bama stuff. That's kind of my guess. But who knows? Fresno are pretty good. Fresno State got paid $1.3 million to come into West Lafayette for the beginning of the Ryan Walters era. Hand mm-hmm. them a loss. Yep. Mikey Keene, former Knight. Rocket Man went in there and just lit them up. Couple touchdowns. Uh, not a lot of defense in this game in general, but that did surprise me. That's the one thing about this that surprised me. I I played a little bit of a Fresno alt line plus two twenty, and I was not entirely shocked they won. Just uh, not. I didn't think they were going to win. I just thought like the the price was off basically relative to the uncertainty that I had about both teams. I really didn't think either team was going to score very much given. Like having read the practice reports on on them, it seemed like the defense was ahead of the offense on both teams, and that was just not the case today. Like the offenses were pretty fine. Yeah, I, I will say for Purdue fans, like when Ryan Walters first came to Illinois, they were bad defensively his first three games, and then it just kind of clicked. And then for the entire last three quarters of the twenty twenty one season and all of twenty twenty two, they were really really good. So I wouldn't. It sucks. You don't want to lose at home to a Mountain West team and your new coach's debut, but just chill. I don't know Purdue fans well enough. Like they really can't make a bowl now. I think it's gonna be really tough. Like you had to have like are are, are they a fan base that do they have like bowl every year expectations type thing? Because um, with Hazel, obviously, like it, it it really went in the tank, but Brom was pretty damn good. I. I think that coming off of a Big Ten West title, even with the coaching change, they were still kind of feeling like disrespected by being picked typically anywhere between like fourth and seventh in the division. So I don't think they're, I, I don't know, they're not really like bowl or bust every single year. I mean, but every fan base has those guys. Okay. But I do think that, yeah, not going to a bowl game will not sit well. As we sit here live, on America's most watched network, the network of stars. We're in double overtime in Laramie. Texas Tech up 33 to 27 after the first possession. Wyoming going for a potential game tying touchdown. And then they'll have to try it. Will they have to try the two point conversion at this point? I know Texas Tech went for two and failed. I don't know that they have. I thought it was the third overtime that you third have to try. is when you have to. Or is it the third overtime where you just I see I can't remember anymore. I thought we just go right to the shootout on the third overtime now. Okay, so yeah, then we you do. do have to go for two in the second. So overtime. I think it is two on the second. Mm. Poor, um, our friend Amanda Guerra has a flight to catch, so if they could just you know try to end this, they're already delayed by the by the weather. Oh, is she sidelining this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of network stuff, I thought the cameras that NBC used tonight were. Awesome. And I know Penn like Penn State has lighting that that makes it seem like a movie anyway. Like just some stadiums w- w- with the lighting they have, it it just kind of pops. But that felt like watching an NFL game. It was like, "Oh, this is this is pretty cool." 
probably at their Sunday. Sunday That's night. what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not a broad. Like, I'm not in the truck, as the industry people say. But I would imagine that with zero NFL going on this week, I'd imagine you've got a lot First of. Game. Uh, yeah. I've got. I imagine you got a lot of good trucks and cameras. Although, I mean, Notre Dame games on NBC have typically always had pretty high quality production standards. So I think it's just kind of what they do. Yeah. Um, Tennessee. I didn't see a ton of it. I didn't see a ton of it. I saw a comment from somebody in our workroom that said uh, every ball off Joe Milton's hand is coming in 190 miles an hour and it's working out is exactly as you would expect for good and bad. He did have a really well-placed good touch throw on a go ball that I think Jordan, correct me. I think it was Ramel Keaton who just flat out dropped it. And, and I do think that the narrative on yes. the, the narrative on him would have changed had that ball been caught because then they probably go up like 28, seven early in the game uh, or, or whatever it was. But I, I remember that being kind of a, a pretty big drop. I thought it was okay. Good performance though. I don't think that he played at a level that would get you beat against most SEC teams that they're going to play. Like, I didn't think he was a liability. Am I totally sold? No. But I thought he was okay. Can we talk about BC? Yeah, Mm. we need to. What does BC stand for, Chip? Booty cheeks. That's right. Man. They're going to be better, man. I know. Losing in Northern Illinois is uh, at home in overtime, and you needed to storm back from a two touchdown deficit in the final quarter. It's not a good look. I'm worried about Jeff Halfley. Me too. Yeah, it's not not looking great. The so um, Emmett Moorhead was expected to be the starter. He took over at the end of last year. He was horrendous so then they go to not nick castellanos but thomas castellanos and there's, there's a drive um and look like he giveth and take it the way right i mean he had the most insane fourth down play of the entire game running like 30 yards backwards and then being able to make the throw for the first down he helped deliver the scores that got them into overtime but the offense in general, especially through the first six possessions or so, they had a 29-yard run by Pat Garwo, and that represented 50% of their total offense. And it was like a quarter and a half into the game. It was, it was horrendous. I mean, Northern Illinois will do that to you, though, right? I mean, that's that's kind of... They, they had a frustrating year last like year, but... 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, they were... Tom, yeah. Thomas Thomas Hamick went in and beat Georgia Tech in a season yeah. opener like two to three years ago. I mean, I don't know if I want to be compared to Georgia Tech two to three years ago, though. And if uh, Georgia Tech wasn't broke, they probably fire Collins then, right? I mean, so that's this, not really a great thing. Uh, if there is a saving grace here, it's sort of all. Do they do it? Oh, oh yeah, one. We're rushing Get the field. It. Wow. Good. Good. How do you lose a 17? It's going to be windy in Laramie. 35 to 33. That's the Tech. final in double overtime. 
Texas Tech is dead to me. I will never have another tortilla. I will never buy a cowboy hat. I will never stand outside in a dust storm or whatever the hell happens in Laramie for fun. I'm done. Done, Texas Tech. I love our listeners and I love our live viewers. It is 1241 a.m. on the East Coast and I don't know where Reagan is, but he has galaxy brained this in a way that speaks to my soul. You're listening to this later. You're not seeing it, but up on the screen, Reagan, who is watching with us live as we record in the 68th minute of this podcast, says, wouldn't it be funny if Tech beats Oregon? Yes. That is exactly what happens. You come off a double overtime loss to Wyoming in Laramie. In which you had a 17 to nothing lead after like 10 minutes. And you beat an Oregon team that put an 80 burger on the board. Yes, that's hilarious. That's exactly what I would love in the wouldn't it be hilarious principle. Not that I think Castellanos is any great shakes, by the way, to finish the Boston College point. We have seen coaches pick the wrong quarterback before. And even good coaches, right? Like Whittingham didn't realize that rising was better than Jake Bentley for like, what, two games, two and a half games and ended up, they didn't they lose one. It's like San Diego state or, or came really damn close to it. I, I thought Brewer did. was before rising. Oh, Brewer. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was something like, there, there, like, there was a like, Bentley experiment too out there. You're, you're not like wrong. Some, some guy who was, who's never going to like sniff pro ball is going to go sell insurance was starting over cam rising. Not that rising is like an amazing pro prospect, but still like a pretty damn good college quarterback. Sonny and, Dykes was like yeah, good comment from, uh, in the chat there from Mr. Sparkles. Dykes chose Chandler Moore silver max Duggan last year. Yeah. There is an element of like you don't really know what you have until you get into the games. And I understand starting Moorhead because he played okay for you down the stretch last year at times and beat NC State on the road. They may they may be better with, with Castellanos. I, I don't uh but you gotta score more points than that against a, a bad NIU defense. Um Deep into this podcast, if you want to elaborate, do you want to you want to get into Utah, Florida stuff now? Well, the chat does not want us to allow Tom to be off the hook for the undisciplined play of the Illini. I mean, they won. All right, perfect. Luke Altmaier has the juice, and Illinois is a juggernaut, and they committed five thousand penalties for three hundred million yards, giving. Toledo like 16 points and they still won with ease. You can't stop Illinois. Illinois just had to make it interesting because they were bored. Is Billy Napier going to make it to 2024? Yes. Okay. As long as DJ is that I don't think I can fully say on the show, but I'm very confident that he is. You can follow him. On- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting, bud. Cool. You can. <laughs> um, I I will on uh, what I will say on the show is it's probably a DJ Lagway thing because what he had eight touchdowns in his first game of the high school season. He's phenomenal. He's uh, the recruiting class is great. Um, completely unrelated to why I'm very confident that Napier is going to see a couple of years. Did you guys see Arizona State? Oh, on Rashad Friday night. Okay. Like, made, made some nice deep oh, throws. No, 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 no. You, no. Was, yes. you did not play. see Arizona State except you watched it on DVR, right? 
Yeah, I, I didn't start yeah, I to watch it. it. No, I, I watched on DVR. Yeah, it was a lightning delay. The game did not end until 4 a.m. Eastern time. It was Is one Sam of those Houston like gonna do this. It was it was one of those games where it's like, uh, all right, maybe I'll stay up. I'll be able to watch this, and then all of a sudden you go into a weather delay, and you're like, well, I mean, I'm not gonna ride this one out. Catch up on this one later. Like um, a dust storm delay. Somebody was joking about that on Twitter. What? But it's there's a special word for it though. I can't remember what it was. It's not a dust storm. It was something else. All right, anything else? How much, before- how much Sam Houston did you guys watch last year? Oh, every game. All right. They seem to be like FCS Iowa, and now they're in the FBS, but like they're dragging BYU down right now. BYU's got 160 yards and just had a field goal block for a touchdown. It's a tie ball game in, in, in Provo. Sam Houston so has 120 yards. So that's what our prime, like we're, Everybody, listen, we've got a huge audience that's watching with us live. So we're about to sign off of here and then we're all going to go and we'll get UCLA and Coastal and then same Houston, BYU. That's kind of our go or one and two after this. Mm-hmm. What's San Diego um, State doing? They San are Diego- messing around with Idaho State. <laughs> oh, we love to hear it. <laughs> but that's on they, the mothership. So I'll definitely get a, that yeah. one on. I'll get that one on the screen as well. Um, Shout out to Michigan's Human Centipede. Glad to see it again. It's been a while. They did Rest it. in peace, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> they, they paid tribute to the fallen Jim Harbaugh by lining up in the, the Human Centipede formation and holding up a four. So, Haboob, by the way, is the name of the dust, what they call the dust storm in Arizona. A haboob. Who is? You don't want to. Hey, never mind. Chat, did, did the San Diego State quarterback, did, did, did Maiden Jalen Maiden? Did he get hurt? Because this Tobin Odell kid is uh, is in there now. We'll see. Anyways, we'll wasn't the first that. time you saw Haboob in Arizona State, right? Uh, You're right, right, yeah, uh, right. Uh huh, uh, bang. Uh, oh no. Sam, uh, Sam Houston State's blocked uh, field goal return touchdown got nullified by a penalty, which uh, which gave BYU a first down. Yeah. Cheaters. Mm. That's what <laughs> happens when you spell Bearcats with a K. You don't know the rules of anything. Of English or football. Come on. All right. So as you have heard, if you've made it to this point in the podcast, we give you everything we've got from pouring ourselves into this sport that we love for an entire day, but it cannot accomplish everything in a Saturday, which is why we get back with you on Monday for a pun further review where We will also get to discuss the game of the week, Northwestern Rutgers, also San Jose State, Oregon State, and uh, a little, you know, showdown off in the corner, sideshow stage between number five LSU and number eight Florida State. Okay, we will, you know, discuss all of those games on Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Come and hang out for that. If you can, follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Pernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm skeptical. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.